0: Well, um, we're obviously at the end of our series in 1 Peter. If you're here for the first time today, very well, warm welcome, Um, we're dropping in. But I wonder, as we've gone through the book of 1 Peter, as we've gone through our series, what's been your overriding feeling? Challenged by by the reality of what it looks like to live as an exile in a hopeless world? Excited by the living hope That we've seen throughout the book. Maybe undecided on whether it's worth the cost of living as a Christian. Maybe desperate for the day that the Lord Jesus comes back. Maybe excited to see how friends might respond to the radically different hope that you have as a Christian. See as we get to this final chapter as Peter rounds off the book. We get to the final part of his letter to those in exile and he wants to remind them to press on to glory, to keep on going. The way in which Peter uh, structures this last section is laid out as he addresses different people as you see, look down. People looking after churches, younger people, and then to everyone. The appeal that Peter makes is that in light of being exiles in a foreign land, in light of the suffering that now comes from following Jesus, the appeal is that they will keep going. The appeal is that we will keep going. And the content of the appeal there is repeated to different people, but the message remains the same throughout. It's consistent suffer serve glory suffer serve glory so we're going to see first then share in Christ's suffering for such a short book here in verse one is Peter's 13th time that he mentions to scattered exiles the norm is that Jesus and his followers will suffer Just have a look down at verse 1. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. The normative framework for Christians is being hammered home to those recipients of this letter. First there is suffering, then there is glory. First the cross, then the crown. And there's no immunity first to the the leaders of the churches that he's addressing, they're scattered among Turkey. And there's no immunity for the members of the churches that he writes to. And there's no immunity to us now if we follow Jesus. But see there verse 1, it's a reassurance to those Christian leaders that their suffering, as with Peter's, is a mark of authentic Christian experience on the way to glory. That's what Peter wants to remind his readers. But have a look down then at verse eight. His warning to all is to be real. Be real about what it's like to follow Christ. Look there at verse eight. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. See, the devil would love to find a foothold in the sufferings of those people scattered among modern day Turkey. The devil would love to find a foothold in the persecution that we face as Town Church Bister as we seek to make Christ known. Peter encourages his readers to have sober judgment. Why is it that when someone shuns us for being a Christian, we assume that God doesn't want us to talk to that person? Why is it that the moment we get the opportunity to speak out in a group, say something of the fact that we trust in Jesus, we're suddenly embarrassed? Why is it that we let people's opinions shape the way we act and speak? We let it drive what we do and say. Because part of us is blind to the spiritual forces of this world. Just read again. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, the devil gets the slightest sniff of suffering and persecution and he would love for that to be the thing that enables him to devour you, to steal you away. Our present suffering has a real spiritual dimension to it. The first physician to die in the United Kingdom of AIDS was a young Christian who had contracted the disease um, abroad, serving as a missionary, doing medical research alongside working in the church in Zimbabwe. In In his final days, he became unable to communicate properly with his wife and family. She lovingly supported him at his bedside, but increasingly the relationship became strained because the communication wasn't there. But on one occasion, he took a notepad, took a pen and wrote the letter J. His wife ran through a mental dictionary of words trying to work out what he was saying until she came to realise. Jesus, she said. Her husband nodded much as he could. Jesus was all he needed in that suffering. See in the face of suffering Jesus has been there first. In the case of suffering for honouring God he knows exactly what it means and in the face of spiritual battle of facing suffering Peter says, look down, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. It's the norm and the way in which we will resist is standing firm in the faith that we already have in Jesus. That's his victory over death that secures eternity with him forever. That is living hope that we've talked about. By faith alone we come to him, not in any merit of our own. See, in that suffering, we're pointed to Jesus' achievement. In our suffering, we stand firm in the same faith, not because of our own merit, because of what Jesus has done. Listen here to what Spurgeon has written about this. We little know what we owe to our Saviour's prayers, When we reach the hilltops of heaven, and look back upon all the way whereby the Lord our God has led us, how we shall praise him, who before the eternal throne undid the mischief which Satan was doing upon earth. How we shall thank him, because he never held his peace, but day and night pointed to the wounds upon his hands, and carried our names upon his breastplate day and night he pointed us to the wounds upon his hands see our suffering points us to Jesus his work what he's achieved and that living hope for eternity why that we would be reminded of what he's done and seek to be with him Because when it's tough, when we're tempted to be embarrassed about what people think, when we're worried what it will look like to speak of Jesus, when we're worried even of what people think in the way we make decisions in honouring Jesus, when we're tempted to walk away and join our friends in the life that the world offers, we'll carry on when we join with Christ. Share with Christ's sufferings. And follow in Christ's example, Peter says. (coughs) Have a look down at verse two. First, it's an appeal to the leaders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. See, there's three challenges there for the leader. Do the job willingly, not under compulsion. Do the job eagerly, not for financial gain. And do the job lovingly, not for the status that it brings. And those, those challenges to the leaders there that Peter writes first to, elders now, well, they're specific, but the language is repeated. The language of being a servant, being humble, following Jesus' example. And of course, the best example we have of servant leadership, the best example we have of a suffering servant is the shepherd that we read about in Philippians 2. Just listen to Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, it comes down, Peter's charge, to having an attitude of service, not one of entitlement. And if there was one human in the whole of history who is entitled to the whole earth, it's Jesus. But instead, he stooped down to serve. And it's not just a call for leaders there in modern-day Turkey. It's not just a call for leaders of churches now. Just look down at verse 5. In the same way, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another and an attitude of humility and service towards one another flows out of our attitude and humility toward God. Look at the language of verse six. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The language of God's provision to the exiles is so strong there as Peter's writing to those that would have been exiles in a foreign land The mighty hand of God is repeated phrase that we hear through the Old Testament as God's people are scattered. God's people are exiles. And God, of course, goes on to deliver his people. See, to humble ourselves before God is to admit a total incapacity to deal with our current situation, but to trust and depend on God's deliverance. It's not often that we'd associate pride with trying to deal with our own circumstances, with worry of what might happen next, but Peter's call is in light of your circumstances, exiles, in light of where you are, in light of what's going on, in light of being scattered, trust in God's deliverance. Just have a look at the link between verse 7 and 8. The second verb there is a a linking verb, a participle. So you should really read it like this. Humble yourself, casting your anxieties on God. Those two verses aren't disconnected. See a constant worrying is a form of pride because deep down it says I'm trusting myself more than I'm trusting God. And there's no way we can humble ourselves without causing so much anxiety unless we Cast it on God. What might that look like? Well, how could I possibly be humble, admit that I get things wrong without being desperately anxious of what people think of me? How could I possibly recognise great things in others without being desperately anxious that they see something in me? How could I possibly not Promote myself without being desperately anxious about people seeing me. The only way is when our humility is God focused, when we cast our anxieties, our worries on God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on Him because he cares for you. See, if true humility is linked to casting our anxiety on God, then we know from the rest of the Bible that that must be linked to prayer. This is what Philippians 4 verse 6 says, cast your anxiety on the Lord by praying and letting your requests be made known to him. The connection is simple. Trusting that God cares about your anxiety is expressed in prayer, depending on Him, trusting in His deliverance. Just look what Jesus did in the hour that He could be most anxious. As He'd resolutely set out for Jerusalem to go to the cross in the face of torment and suffering, He withdrew to pray. Peter's appeal is that we follow Christ's example, humble service dependent on God. Follow Christ's example, but if it was just left there, it would be a pretty hopeless end to the letter, wouldn't it? But through this letter, Peter has constantly pointed back to that 1 verse 3 that we've had as our memory verse, to the living hope. And here as he finishes the letter, He points to the culmination of that living hope, a future glory. So if you're in any doubt of how a living hope truly transforms the way we view living in exile, the way we cope with what's going on in life now, here it is. Share in Christ's glory. That's what Peter says. That... 1 verse 3, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Repeatedly we've talked about how the new life which leads to a sure hope for eternity. (coughs) That Jesus' death secures life with him for those that he's called. Peter says in verse 4 that what that living hope will amount to. Have a look down. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That's a living hope, isn't it? A a crown of glory that will never fade away. If you're sat there thinking, this living hope, what does that actually look like? What does it become? If you've wondered through this series, thinking, what does it how does it grip my life? Ultimately Peter's saying the Lord Jesus will come back and gather his people, the chief shepherd. Revelation 7 uses this language. Let me read a couple of verses. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's his people that he's gathered together. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, the sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. In the face of struggles now, Peter uses this language to say that chief shepherd will gather his people. In the face of persecution, distress, tears, struggles, being rejected by family, friends, feeling like an odd one out, feeling like you're going it alone. Peter says, with the lamb as your shepherd, will you have this picture in mind? Never again will you hunger, never again will you thirst, for the lamb at the centre of the throne will be your shepherd. John's language in Revelation 7, springs of living water, reminds us in in the Gospel of John, where he talks about springs of living water that well up to eternal life. The language that speaks through Revelation of the restoration of the city of Israel. No longer will God's people be exiles in a hopeless world, but together for eternity gathered around the throne. That is the living hope that Peter reinforces as he finishes the signs of his letter That for you, who trust in Jesus now, going through the midst of suffering, persecution, being far away from home, this is the hope that you will have for eternity gathered around the Chief Shepherd. When once again God's people will be able to live together not scattered. Where God's people will be able to unite around one true ruler not fear different ones. Where God's people will be sheltered, not persecuted. Where God's people will be at home, not in exile. What comfort this must have been to Peter's readers, scattered around Turkey, feeling alone, isolated, abandoned, struggling. What a comfort it is to us in Vista If we trust in Jesus, The living hope that brings us a sure future united around the Lamb. And if there's any doubt about whether you make it there, if you trust in Jesus, look at verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And God, who chose you, will himself restore you. God, who calls you by his grace, not in anything you've done, will call you to endure by his grace. By grace, verse 10, through faith, verse 9. That's the way that we'll continue on to be there united around the throne as Jesus' people will be at home. That's the way that Peter wants his readers to cope in the light of suffering, in the midst of persecution. That's the way Peter wants us to be focused on a future glory. Keep on going. Peter says, Because this is the pattern. Now we will share in Christ's suffering. We should expect it. It will be tough. People will look at us and think we're different and know we're different and treat us differently. But follow Christ's example, humbling ourselves, depending on the hand of God that delivers us. And we will share in Christ's glory. As Jesus comes back and gathers his people around the throne that is the sure hope for those who trust in Jesus as Peter signs off that letter is that the truth that we can claim today is that the truth that we will claim in the midst of suffering and persecution is that the truth that we'll continue to claim as a church let's pray Father, we thank you so much that while we suffer for a little while, the glory of being with Christ at home for eternity will go on forever. Lord, thank you that that offer is to all those that will trust in you. Father, thank you that getting there is not a work of our own merit but is on offer to all who would trust in the work of Jesus and Father thank you that that is an absolutely sure hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as he beats death and offers life for eternity. Amen.